What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you on Sunday evening, July 17th. No Cardinals game to talk about today, but I still figured it was worth doing at least a quick podcast with you guys on Sunday night because I sort of forgot this was happening when I was doing the show yesterday. But of course, we have something to talk about. The MLB draft kicked off on Sunday night, and the Cardinals at the number 22 overall pick, made a selection of a college pitcher, a left-handed pitcher that we can talk about a little bit, and I'll give my impressions of that selection for the Cardinals because I think that's interesting. I know that the Major League Baseball draft is maybe not quite on the level of fan interest and intrigue as maybe the NFL draft or the NBA draft for fans of those sports. I would compare it a little bit more to the NHL draft because in a lot of cases... Guys that are picked in the NHL draft and and the MLB draft is similar. You're not really going to see those guys for quite a few years. And baseball may be most notorious for this because sometimes you're taking players straight out of high school and maybe in hockey they can play 18, 19, 20 years old. You don't see it often, but it does happen occasionally. Major League Baseball, it's just very, very rare to see that. Even with players selected out of college, it's usually at least a couple of years before you see those guys reach the upper echelon of baseball leagues professionally. But that being said, it's still a pretty exciting time. And the Cardinals have recently, I think, done a pretty good job in these early rounds of the draft, taking guys like Jordan Walker, who seems to be on a trajectory towards stardom, Mason Wynn, another exciting pick in the last couple of years. Tink Hentz has begun to to get things going in the lower levels of the minors. So, They've made some interesting picks recently. Those guys are now developing and working their way through the system. Still maybe going to be a couple of years before we see those guys. The Cardinals really went heavy in 2020 on high school-age players during a year where there was no college baseball. Pretty much COVID took out the entire season for the most part for a lot of teams. So they've had to get creative in the draft process. And in 2020, they were willing to do that. Things are a little bit back to normal now, though, more so. And Cardinals go back with the college pitcher route at number 22 overall tonight, selecting Cooper Jerpy out of Oregon State. So we'll talk about what I think about that pick, give some instant reaction and impressions after listening into the Zoom where Cardinal scouting director Randy Flores spoke about the selection, and then Cooper Jerpy himself joined later on to introduce himself to the St. Louis media. And so I'll talk about some impressions from those conversations And I also wanted to, once I saw this news earlier on Sunday, podcast tonight because Miles Michaelis is an all-star, folks. Let's go. Congratulations to Miles Michaelis. This is really cool. 2018, his first year with the Cardinals, he earned a spot on the all-star team but didn't get to go because it coincided with the birth of his twins, he and his wife. And so this will be cool for Miles. I was thinking maybe he would get a chance to rest this week. No, he's heading out to L.A., evidently replacing Corbin Burns on the all-star team. And so we'll talk about those two things today on B-Shape Daily, despite the fact that if you listened to last night's episode, late Saturday, early Sunday, what did I say? I said Sunday's going to rain out. I don't think they're playing Sunday. It's the last day before the All-Star break. This is what they do. They call it early and sure as shooting, that's what happened. So if you like those kinds of uh, futuristic predictions that end up coming true on occasion, B-Shape Daily is the podcast for you folks, handling everything Cardinals, baseball, and Predicting rainouts now is apparently something we can do. 
That'll be rescheduled Cardinals-Reds as a doubleheader on September 17th, I believe is the date for that. So if you had tickets, that's the information that you need to know on that front. But appreciate you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts will do as well. Wherever you listen to Be Shafe Daily, click subscribe, give a review. Spotify, you can give reviews too. I just reviewed myself recently to make sure we had a five-star review. I wanted to make sure I gave myself that because in all my days of listening to Be Shafe Daily, I consider it to be a five-star podcast. Maybe you do too. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's more of a two-star. That's okay. Give it a review anyway. I appreciate, what do they say? All publicity is good publicity. So I appreciate you guys for being along for the ride. But let's go ahead and jump right into it. I think I'll start with Miles Michaelis because I'm going to expand a little bit more on the draft pick of Cooper Jerpy. And so let's start with the thing that's not going to take as long. And then we'll really dive in on the Cardinals and, and what they did in the first round of the draft on Sunday night. Miles Michaelis being an all-star is really cool. And really well-deserved. If you look at the numbers, the way he's been pitching this season, I mean, take it, take a look at the uh, MLB.com sort to National League pitching stats. And Miles Michaelis is up there. I mean, ERA, he's fifth in the National League in earned run average this season. I talked about it recently, how innings pitched is another statistic that should be valued when determining these all-stars. And Miles Michaelis is third in the National League in innings pitched. And I don't think there are many American League pitchers who are on that level either. 120.1, 123rd innings pitched for Miles so far this season across 19 starts. So he's been a pretty good workhorse. That's a an average of more than six innings per start. Pretty easily an average of more than six per start. So that's really good. Only 92 strikeouts in that time, which is part of what I said on the previous episode, has probably worked against him. It's just the, the strikeout numbers aren't exactly gaudy. But you look elsewhere, I mean, whip, walks, plus hits per innings pitched, that should be a stat that is valued. Miles Michael is fifth in the National League in that statistic as well. So he's had a really good season. Yes, he benefits from that Cardinals defense. By the way, tied for fifth in batting average against at 210 for opposing hitters. So you look across the board, Miles Michaelis is up there in a lot of these categories. And a lot of the guys that are around him as well, he's walked fewer guys than those players. I'll sort it by strikeouts. Sure, you've got Corbin Burns, Aaron Nola, Carlos Rodon. You've got quite a few guys above him in, in terms of strikeouts. Only Aaron Nola. And then you've got Max Fried, Zach Wheeler right next to him with 22 walks. Miles has walked 23 on the season. Joe Musgrove, 23. So there's not a ton of guys with significantly better strikeout-to-walk ratios. He keeps the walks down. He limits base runners. To have a whip below one is pretty important. I mean, that indicates you're allowing fewer than a base runner per inning. And that's a pretty impressive thing to do over the course of a season. He's done it so far for 19 starts and has the one complete game to his credit this season as well. 2.54 ERA, very deserving, really good to see for Miles Michaelis. And he's going to be a big part of what the Cardinals look to do in the second half of the season. Obviously, he and Wainwright have really been the staples in this rotation. And then around those two, you've seen a little bit of inconsistency and maybe more than a little bit, depending on who we're talking about. They tried Jordan Hicks at the beginning of the year. That has not panned out. He's now working out of the bullpen. They've shuffled through different guys. Steven Matz has not been healthy. He was going to start earlier today at Bush Stadium. Obviously, that game getting rained out. He'll have to wait until after the All-Star break to return officially from the injured list, although he did get activated on Sunday before they found out that the game was not going to happen. But Steven Matz has not panned out 
in terms of effectiveness, ERA over six, in terms of injury, hasn't been available. Best ability is availability, right? And Stephen Matz hasn't been that for most of the season. We know the issues Dakota Hudson has had. He's been there, but, and I know he's on the injured list now, but we talked about why that's fake and not something to worry about. The Cardinals have done, I think, a good job of just gaming the system over the All-Star break. They got a chance to have an extra reliever over this past weekend. All's well that ends well. I think Dakota's going to end up being just fine. But his numbers on the field has had good starts, has had some bad starts, and more consistency is definitely necessary for Hudson. Palante, kind of a similar story over a smaller sample size. He's been great as a reliever. He was pretty good as a starter at the beginning. Now we're not seeing a whole lot of upside from him, but he's keeping in the game. He's trying to keep things stabilized. But at the same time, that's what Miles Michaelis has really done so well all season long. It's so predictable what he's going to give you, and I think that's a value in and of itself and part of the reason that he is an all-star, along with Nolan Arenado, who we know is not going to be playing in the game due to some back tightness, back stiffness that he's been experiencing, and he's going to take the break to rest, which I think is just fine. Albert Pujols obviously will be there Monday, tomorrow coming up. When you're listening to this, it's probably Monday by now. And Albert Pujols will be in the home run derby going up against Kyle Schwarber in the first round. And I did say, what did I say yesterday? That I would do my home run derby predictions. So let me go ahead real quick and Google the bracket. I will run through this right now since we're still talking about all-star game related talk with Miles Michaelis. It looks like MLB.com does a bracket game. I just Googled it real quick. So I'll fill out my bracket live with you guys here. And the way they seed this, by the way, is based on how many home runs you've hit this season. I do believe that's what it is because, of course, Albert Pujols has only hit, what, six homers? Probably makes sense that he's the eight seed. So let me go ahead and do this too. MLB hitting stats. I'm going to pull up and make sure I know how many dingers all of these guys in the Derby have hit. So let's get into it. Kyle Schwarber is the one seed. And man, it would have been nice to see the Cardinals get him. He was a guy I was kind of banging the drum for a little bit the offseason before we knew the Cardinals were going for a guy like Corey Dickerson. Um, Yeah, I don't know what Schwarber's contract ended up being, but he's a value. 29 home runs this season for Philadelphia. Four years, $79 million. Okay, so that's more than the Cardinals certainly would have paid. One year, $5 million for Dickerson. I I think I get that. Jock Peterson, though, was the guy that the Cardinals... Uh, needed to go out and, and get. he should, Why is Jock Peterson not in the home run derby? I don't know why, but I had it in my head that he was. Uh, looks like he's dealing with some neck and back tightness, some some issues there, so that's why he declined the invite. I, I guess he was invited, but he's not in it. Okay, fair enough. I'm taking Albert Pujols over Kyle Schwarber, despite the fact that Schwarber leads all participants with 29 home runs. Aaron Judge leads all of Major League Baseball with 33. Schwarber's in second. Austin Riley with 27 is in third, and he damn near didn't make the team. If not for Arenado having to bow out, I don't think Riley would have would have made it unless they've had some other announcements of replacements being necessary since then. But man, Austin Riley's having a heck of a season. 27 home runs, OPS of 923. But he's in there now, not in the uh, home run derby, but he is in the all-star game. All right, Juan Soto against Jose Ramirez. Lots of Juan Soto talk on the podcast, huh? You know we're going to be talking Juan Soto this week with the trade poll. By the way, that got over 4,600 votes, and the nose slightly had it, but we'll we'll spend more time. I don't know if I'll do that episode tomorrow on Monday or if I'll wait till Tuesday uh, or maybe Wednesday when there's really nothing going on following the All-Star game, but we will get to it this week, so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that episode coming out. We're breaking down whether the Cardinals can realistically acquire Juan Soto via trade. But for now, 
we got to check out what I think realistically his chances of winning the home run derby are. 20 home runs on the season for him, 19 for Jose Ramirez, his opponent. Juan Soto is, I mean, Jose Ramirez just matches, but Juan Soto is a showman. But I know that I, I don't know if I can can vote Albert to w- advance all the way to the final. I think he could get tuckered out after whipping Kyle Schwarber. So I really got to look at Soto Ramirez and consider that my winner in this matchup very well could be in the, in the final. I got to go with Soto, though. I think I think he can get it done here over Jose Ramirez. So that's what we'll do there. Corey Seager gets to do the home run derby in front of Dodgers fans. Obviously, former Dodger until this year when he signed with the Texas Rangers. He's had a pretty good season. I feel like a dummy for trading uh, Seager away in fantasy baseball on a package that did get me Fernando Tatis Jr., but uh, I haven't seen him play a game this year yet, so yippee for me. Please come back. Fernando, my team needs you. All right, Kyle, uh, not Kyle Seager, his brother Corey Seager, 22 home runs on the season. Seager enters as the number three seed here. He takes on the rookie. I'll be very curious to see what Julio Rodriguez is able to get done. And he's not listed among the top home run hitters in, in baseball so far this season, probably because he got a little bit of a late start. 16 home runs, so he's not quite there on the leaderboard. They did call him up right away, didn't they? But he's really come on strong of late. I don't know. Rookies, it seems like it's a really hard ask for rookies to put on a show. I'll be rooting for him over Corey Seager, but I'm going to take Seager. Uh, I think he's going to have the crowd behind him, and so that'll be good. I don't even need to look up. Acuna Alonso is certainly the most compelling matchup of the first round. Alonso, 24 home runs. He's the two seed, obviously two-time champion. Acuna, I don't know that it's such a great idea for Ronald Acuna to be doing the home run derby with the injuries that he's had. Another guy that's on my fantasy team that I would just like to see stay healthy. He's only got eight home runs this season, but he's uh, I mean, he's a heck of a player. I'm still taking Alonzo to beat him, though. So I'm pretty much chalk here. The two seed, the three seed, the four seed. Alonzo, Seager, Soto advance, but I'm not taking chalk with Albert Pujols versus Kyle Schwarber. Do I really, do I actually think Kyle Schwarber is going to lose to Albert Pujols? I think it's possible. I think people are underestimating Albert a little bit with this whole thing. I, I don't even know if I can... I, I'm going to check out the DraftKings odds and see if there's anything here, any sort of value here. I know this about Pete Alonso. The fact that he's won it twice and he trains for it, he prepares for it, and rightfully so, considering you know he's still kind of in that earlier stage of his career where he doesn't make a ton of money in terms of his salary on an annual basis. And so they I, I believe the last couple of years they've offered a $1 million prize for the winner and he's taken it home both times. And so that's more money than he makes in a year, at least uh, during those seasons in which he was participating in those derbies. So that's maybe some extra motivation. Maybe Julio Rodriguez has similar motivation. He's not making a ton. He's major league minimum kind of guy right now as a rookie. Maybe something to think about. Everybody else has really had their contracts and is doing okay. But I like that Albert Pujols plus 2,200. He's the longest odds to win the sucker. Pete Alonso's plus 200. He's the favorite. Schwarber is at plus 330. I'm surprised to see Ronald Acuna at plus 600. That really doesn't make sense because if you think he's going to lose in the first round to Alonzo, he can't possibly win, but he's got the same odds as Juan Soto plus 600. And then Rodriguez, Seager, and Jose Ramirez falling in thereafter. I'm taking Albert, though. I'm called the homer pick. Call it whatever you want. I'm taking the guy. Uh, not over Juan Soto, though. I'm going to go Soto. I'm going to go Alonzo. And I have no reason to believe that Pete Alonzo isn't going to win again. He's a master when it comes to the home run derby. He's great at it, knows what he's doing. So I'm taking him. Those are my 
home run derby picks. But to wrap up the conversation on the All-Star game, talk about a segue. Yes, Miles Michaelis being in is fantastic. And what he's brought to the Cardinals rotation has been fundamentally necessary. I don't know if the Cardinals are going to go out and add a starter at the trade deadline. It seems like no. It seems like that is one that John Moselak would say is complicated, right? Like, I don't know functionally how they would pull that off because they don't like putting square pegs into round holes. And I think sometimes they get a little bit too concerned about, well, what would we do with a guy when so-and-so comes back healthy? And it's like, well, who cares? He's not healthy right now. Like Jack Flaherty, for instance, is not currently healthy. And you don't necessarily know when he's going to be, so don't count on it. Steven Matz technically is back, but you don't know what he's going to bring. So I think they're going to evaluate over the next couple of weeks as they they get into late July. And hopefully, if the starting pitching doesn't look right, they do find a willingness to act if if something comes out in the market and, and looks like a viable option. John Mozilla needs to be ready. needs to be ready to go after it. But Miles Michaelis has been huge for this team. I think he'll continue to be huge for this team in the second half, and so I'm glad that he got honored with the all-star selection, replacing Corbin Burns on the National League roster. Okay, let's get into the draft from Sunday night. Cardinals had the number 22 overall selection, and they used it on a 21-year-old pitcher out of Oregon State, left-handed pitcher named Cooper Jerpy, and yes, his name does start with an H. Yes, the H is silent. I believe it's Jerpy is how you pronounce his name. And if I'm wrong, I'll let you know about it on an episode later this week, but that's what I was told. And so that's what I believe it is. Cooper Jerpy, 21 years old, as I mentioned, out of Oregon State, had some really good collegiate numbers this past season. I believe it was his junior season. It was his third season of collegiate baseball. So I guess that makes him a junior, although with COVID, they technically might say he's a sophomore because you get to just make it up as you go because everybody gets extra eligibility since COVID happened. Uh, the COVID year, 2020, so I guess Oregon State did, they played six games, or he got to pitch in six games as a reliever. So I don't guess they washed out the entire baseball season, but a lot of it, in, in the end in particular, did go bye-bye due to COVID that season. But wasn't really impactful as a freshman. Sophomore, he did serve in the starting rotation, but the ERA was 4.21, not a whole lot to get excited about. And then took a humongous step forward this past season. This is a guy in, in Connor. I'm going to call him Connor Jerpy so many times. I don't know why. I it, It's Cooper. His name's Cooper. But I swear, in my head, I keep saying Connor. So that's the first time I did it. I'm not even going to delete it from the podcast. I'm going to be intellectually honest about it so that you guys can hold me accountable. Cooper Jerpy. It's not Connor. It never was Connor. And it never will be Connor. But Cooper Jerpy took a huge step forward, and this is a guy that was not drafted out of high school. And so to see a guy leave high school and then three years later he ends up in the first round, I, not drafted at all, not getting any kind of buzz at that point before going to Oregon State, it's interesting. He talked about that tonight in his Zoom meeting with the media where he said, I was 175 pounds, I was, I was not ready, I was too raw, and I did need to go to a good program like Oregon State to continue my development. And he's done exactly that. He's now listed at six foot three, two hundred pounds. So he's put a little bit of weight on. Kid out of California, left-handed pitcher, and that kind of lanky two hundred. And here's what's really interesting about this guy. I mentioned that he took a big step forward in 2022 this season for Oregon State. Eleven and two record, two point five three ERA through 103 innings, 103.1 innings, which he said is you know the most he's ever thrown in a, in a season. Beat his previous number from his sophomore year by. A good margin. 77 innings to 103 is a pretty good jump. 
And the strikeout jump was huge, too. 98 to 161 strikeouts in 103 and a third innings this past season for Oregon State. So you like that production from the left-handed pitcher. The whip was below 1, 0.871. So really good numbers. And the strikeout-to-walk ratio was good as well, 7.0. Only walked 23 guys in 103 innings. That's really good. So command. And you'd think maybe this would be a guy that would struggle some with command because here's what's interesting about him. He's got a funky delivery. Check out, I wrote an article for KMOV.com. You go to KMOV.com slash sports, and within that, I, I linked a tweet where you can see what he looks like throwing within my most recent article. But you could head to Twitter and probably find video of this guy throwing. He's got a really funky delivery, and I think it's going to be, first of all, I think it's why the Cardinals had interest in him. I think this is a big part of what he does and what he what he expects to do is this delivery is going to make him deceptive, make it hard for hitters to figure him out and to know what's coming and where it's coming and how to hit it. I think that could be a big big benefit, and it's probably why the Cardinals were interested in him. But I think it's also a big reason that he's got a chance to be successful moving forward. But here's how he also found a way to take that leap. Another thing that he did was he went to driveline. A lot of these guys are doing that. He said, I invested in myself. I think that means he probably put up the money. I don't know who sent him there or if he, he was able to to, to pay for it and say this is an investment that I want to make in myself. But he went to driveline before the season and worked out some improvements to his game, and one of which, and, and the thing that he said was the biggest change for him that has improved since going undrafted right out of high school, other than putting on some weight and maturing emotionally and maturing as a player, is talking about the off-speed stuff and, and what he's been able to do in terms of going from a curveball that didn't really work for him, he said, it wasn't a fit with what his sidearm, it's kind of a sidearm style delivery. And I know this is an audio medium, but go check out the video of it. Google Cooper Jerpy and uh, make sure you put the H at the beginning of his name and see what you think of his delivery. I think it's really interesting. I think it can be a weapon for sure. Drawing some comparisons to Chris Sale. That was a name that was kind of thrown around a little bit. And he said, yeah, it's not like he ever tried to model his his mechanics after Chris Sale. He just throws how he throws, and it's always been what he's done. No pitch, pitching coach has ever tried to change him. It's always been a little unique, and that's been effective for him in a positive way. Although he did say he likes the mentality of Chris Sale, and I kind of thought, I don't know about Chris Sale and mentality. Cuts up the jerseys, beats up the minor league clubhouses. Maybe not, maybe not in that regard, but certainly a bulldog mentality on the mound, obviously, is what he was talking about. I jest a little bit. He also said Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are two guys who he likes to watch pitch in the in the modern MLB. And the fact that Max Scherzer is kind of a psychopath on the mound, he likes that. So, hey, I mean, if that's your kind of guy, I like Max Scherzer's mentality on the mound as well. And so if that's the, the kind of bulldog mentality, take no prisoners mentality that you have on the mound, I, I don't think that can be a negative. I think it can help you, certainly, if you can channel it in the proper ways. But one thing he did, he kind of let that curveball go and has developed a slider that looks like a really nasty pitch. It's kind of a, a sweeping slider that cuts across the plate for a lefty. It's going to be real tough for lefties to hit low and away. But here's the thing about him and doing some reading about him. He's a guy where you'd think it would all be horizontal movement, right? Sidearm delivery, kind of Chris Sale-like. You've got limbs kind of moving all over the place. It's a little wacky, a little distracting for hitters, I'm sure then that can be a benefit for him. But I've been reading about the horizontal movement on some of his pitches, including his fastball, which fastball velocity is not huge for this guy, 89 to 93. And you might be thinking, man, why would they be taking a guy in the first round? He throws 
barely 90 miles per hour on his fastball. That just seems strange. But they talk about how he has good extension to the plate and the delivery. He really makes the most of what he's doing, which makes the fastball play a little bit more than that 89 to 93. And Randy Flores said tonight that he they don't think he's reached the upper echelon of his velocity, which when you draft a guy that sits 80, 89 to 93, you, you better say he's going to throw harder. That's <laughs> I don't know what else he would say. But if they really believe that and he could throw harder, then that could be a benefit if you get, get that guy to 94, 95 as he continues to grow and get stronger. Just 21 years old, so he's still got, got room to improve and, and room to strengthen up as he gets into professional ball for sure. But I think it's interesting that... Uh, Pairing the horizontal delivery style, right, the sidearm delivery, with the fact that he gets movement in the vertical plane on his pitches, the fastball, the changeup, has some good movement in that regard where it makes it weird for a hitter. I'd have to imagine the way it's described that that's not very much of a comfortable at-bat for hitters. And so I think that's where this guy can be really effective. They talk about the fastball and the changeup being tunneled very well, and and the slider, I think, plays into that as well. Repeatable delivery, that's a key for a guy who has a wacky delivery. You don't want to be tipping your pitches or doing anything of that nature, but you also find a way to repeat it to where the pitcher does the same thing every time, and if the fastball looks like one thing and the changeup looks like the same thing, you can see where that's going to be difficult from a tunneling perspective. The hitter sees the same thing, the same arm action and all of that, but the one pitch is going to come in you know, 10, 12 miles per hour slower, whatever it is. And so he's really done a nice job getting in sync with all of that through going to driveline in the offseason, which he said helped him a lot. And that's sort of where they can build out the pitch that is best for you, where you say, yeah, this curveball doesn't really work. Here's why it doesn't tunnel well with your other pitches. But if you throw this slider, if you can develop this pitch, you could be something. And sure enough, he did that this year, and he was something. ERA of 2.53 in the Pac-12, which is a pretty good baseball conference playing for Oregon State. And they've got a good track record of developing high draft picks. I believe I read tonight he's the 13th Oregon State player to be drafted in the first round in the history of that program. So cool for Cooper Drippy and hopefully cool for the Cardinals. What do I think about this guy in general? They say he could be a quick mover, and it feels like they say that about a lot of different guys. Remember Griffin Roberts back in 2018? They said he could be a, he's going to be a fast riser through the system. Well, he never moved. He, I think he's uh, he's not thrown very many innings this season. He's... I guess had some injuries. I don't really know. He's 26 years old by now. It's not. It's hard to even say he's a prospect anymore. And that can happen. So expectations, you maybe want to temper him. But at the same time, they say fast riser potentially through the system. But what I hear when I hear that is there, when he gets there, if he moves up pretty quickly, he could get there in terms of MLB as a reliever. And if that's the route he ends up going, I would say ultimately that would be a disappointment for the Cardinals to take a guy, 22 overall, first-round pick, and ultimately his ceiling is a reliever, if that is indeed the case. I'm sure the Cardinals don't believe that. There are scouts who say, yeah, I'm worried that that's what it looks like because other than Chris Sale, you really don't have a lot of guys with this type of delivery that have stuck in the rotation at the big league level. And so that's a question about his game, whether or not he'll be able to do that. I don't think the Cardinals take him if they don't think that that's where he can end up as a mid-rotation kind of starter. It seems like a guy with a relatively safe floor, but how high is the ceiling is maybe the question. If he throws, if he finds a way to get a few more miles per hour on the velocity and can continue making all his pitches, his fastball, his changeup, his slider look the same, obviously I think the sky could be the limit for this guy, but you could also look at the glass half empty and say, well, he doesn't throw very hard. He has a funky delivery. Is that going to be able to stick consistently in the rotation? We'll wait and see. I think with what he did in 100 innings at Oregon State this year, you can be encouraged by 
the high strikeout rate, the fact that he did have a low walk rate, so that's a good strikeout-to-walk ratio of 7.0. There are signs, I think, that maybe sometimes scouts just get in their head about something and they, they make up their mind. There are signs that this guy could be a rotational piece for the Cardinals moving forward. I just don't know. Again, I don't want to do. I don't want to be the guy to say on draft night that this guy is or isn't going to be something. But I want to give my impressions of kind of where I, where I see this going. We don't ever want to declare that. Yep, we know that this is the case for this player because you don't. We don't know what we don't know, and we need to acknowledge that at times. And I don't like hearing too much negative talk. And maybe that makes me just the the happy talk guy. And you feel like I'm not going to give any real analysis, and so. It's not worth your time. If that's how you feel, I understand. But I just don't think that you need to go too much on the negatives about young players on what should be the best day of their professional lives to this point. Let it play out. I think that's an important part of the process. Uh, but certainly excited to see what the kid does and and where he can go. But this pick sort of strikes me as similar to the vein that the Cardinals have gone with when they, when they select these college pitchers. Zach Thompson, I hope he can be sort of an ex- exception to the, well, it seems like he has a nice stable floor, but what's the ceiling? Thompson starting to throw pretty hard. You like that upper 90s velocity. I believe I saw on, on one pitch in AAA this past week, he hit 100 miles per hour. So if he's doing that regularly, that's pretty good. But again, we're seeing these guys thrust into the bullpen in St. Louis. These are first-round picks, and eventually you want to know that they can stick as starters. I know they didn't draft Matthew Libertor, but that's a guy who, another lefty, they're trying to develop, and he hasn't been able to stick just yet. And some of the guys like Sandy Alcantara, obviously, if we're talking floor versus ceiling, Alcantara obviously had a ceiling. I don't know if they knew that he had this when they had him. Otherwise, they may not have traded him. But he's the best pitcher in the National League right now. Ceiling. Carlos Martinez, another ceiling type. I think Jack Flaherty could have been described as a ceiling type where there maybe is some risk there. But uh, certainly, the sky's the limit type of players. And then you you see if you're able to find the floor and, and elevate that as much as you can and with injuries that can make that a difficult proposition. But other names that I'm thinking about that I would compare just the style of the pick. Don't think right versus left. A lot of these guys are right-handed that I'm going to bring up. But just in terms of feels like a safe pick that could be maybe a back-end-of-the-rotation guy or a pretty good reliever. Andre Pallante, Dakota Hudson, Michael McGreevy from last season I think is likely going to be that kind of mold. Maybe not a ton of upside for any of those guys, but they could be darn solid major league pitchers. And maybe that's what they're looking at with this kid, Jerpy, as well. And if that's the case, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but you would like to maybe take a shot at some point. What's hard for the Cardinals, though, is to take a shot on a pitcher. They're always in that 19 to 22 to 24 spot in the draft. It's really difficult to get some of those elite upside guys that may be a little riskier, but the sky could be the limit for them. Take a Kumar Rocker, for example. He goes to the Texas Rangers, number three overall after last year, going highly in the draft, but not signing with the team that picked him. That's the kind of name that, man, that could be exciting. A Jack Leiter, remember him from last year, he goes to the Rangers. So there's some, there's obviously some big upside arms. The Cardinals seem like they are always taking the safer arms toward the back of the first round when they take them. And there's nothing wrong with that, but eventually you want to find some dudes for that rotation rather than having to trade for them. And they obviously were hoping Jack Flaherty would be that kind of dude, and he hasn't been able to be healthy. So that's the difference there. But just an example of sort of the way I think the philosophy of Cardinals draft picks on the pitching side has been in recent years. On the hitting side, like Jordan Walker was an excellent example. A guy, a high school player, projectable. You can say if he hits his ceiling, boy, is this going to be fun. And through two years of professional ball for him, not even quite two years, he played 2021 and has, has done a nice job to begin this season. You start to feel like that's going in the direction that you'd like to see. 
But for those college-age pitchers, it does seem like the Cardinals take the the safe route rather than shooting for the moon, and that might just be a product of where they typically, the order that they are in the draft. Which, by the way, Jackson Holiday, Matt Holiday's kid, he goes number one overall to the Orioles. Orioles are going to be tough, man. If you look at Jackson Holiday's high school stats this year, they're just like bonkers. His his batting average is like six eighty seven or something like that. Hit a home run in like twenty percent of his at bats. Like he was stupid good. And uh, yeah, obviously a pedigree there with uh, Matt Holiday as a dad. So congrats to Jackson Holiday and the Holiday family. I think the Orioles though are heading in the right direction. They're already around five hundred this year, and they've got all those young players and and obviously more to come. And in a few years, we'll see Jackson Holiday probably, and he'll. He'll be tearing things up with the likes of Adley Rutschman, and they've got Gunnar Henderson still in the minors. They've got a really talented system. The Orioles are going to be a, a site to contend with here in the next couple of years. I'm serious with the way that they're picking it up. If they can keep the pitching and keep that thing rolling, they've got so many good position players on the way that they're going to be kind of scary. But, hey, the Cardinals don't have to worry about that. They're over in the American League. Leave that for the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays and the Blue Jays to worry about over there in the AL East. But anyway, I've kind of rambled on too long about this draft pick, Cooper Jerpy. I think he could be a good player, good pitcher. It'd be interested to see where he goes, probably start him out in A-ball. But also, he talked about pitching a lot this past season, and he and his agent kind of talked about take a couple weeks off, still kind of work your way into it, be ready for the draft, but not go super hard given the amount of innings that were on his arm during the college baseball season. So the Cardinals are going to probably be careful with his workload as well wherever they send him. But certainly he'll be a guy that Cardinals fans have their eyes on moving forward. I think he's got a chance to make some dudes look silly in the batter's box. I really do. But at the end of the day, the Cardinals are going to need him, I think, to stick in the rotation as a starting pitcher to be effective with some upside in that role. This pick may be one that looks kind of underwhelming down the road. But like I said, I'm not going to declare today what a kid is or isn't as a player. I think it's a fine pick for the Cardinals. I I typically don't have too crazy of reactions. I remember being pretty excited about Jordan Walker. That was like, wow, they usually don't go for this power hitting high school prospect type in the first round. Like that's not usually the way the Cardinals approach things that year. They decided they needed to zig because of uh, the zag that COVID threw everybody. It was a little bit of a a curveball, and they said, well, we're going to be willing to zig where the market maybe forces us to, to do so. And instead of zagging, or zagging the one that you'd rather do. Zig versus zag. Maybe we'll cover that on tomorrow's episode of B-Shape Daily. We'll see. But you know what I'm saying. They they went maybe away from what they're typically accustomed to doing and comfortable with doing in 2020. That seems to be paying off right now. But here's another example. I think that the pitcher they picked tonight, Cooper Jerpy, is probably more along their, their MO, right? Zach Thompson, lefty out of Kentucky. That's the kind of pick that I think I would compare Jerpy to as of right now. Not that they're the same exact pitcher. I think Thompson throws harder. I think Jerpy's got the deception factor to his game that could definitely be helpful. But if ultimately his ceiling is a reliever, that doesn't mean he's not going to be valuable, especially now in a world where two years down the road, relievers will be even more important. Guys that can go multiple innings, guys that can be effective in in a variety of roles. I think that could be a future for this kid. But ideally, he's going to be in the rotation. But of course, it'll be a couple few years before we end up seeing what that looks like. And so what are your reactions to the Cooper Jerpy pick? I almost said Connor once again, but I didn't. Gosh darn, I'm so smooth at this podcasting thing. <laughs> what are your reactions to Cooper Jerpy? Let me know at bshafer12 on Twitter. You can DM me. You can tweet at me with your reactions to the pick. And always let me know what you're talking about and thinking about and liking about the podcast, Bshafe Daily. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. That is going to do it for this edition of the show. 
I think we'll be back on Monday talking some home run derby, hopefully after it wraps up. And we'll get into some trade conversations as well. Continue sending me on Twitter, at Schaefer 12 the names that you'd like to see discussed in trade-related episodes of the podcast. We'll keep it rolling this week. Appreciate you guys, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.